Uh, for those of you guys uh, who I haven't had a chance to, to meet, my name is James. Uh, I serve here on staff as the pastor of Family Ministries, uh, and I get to lead that team that, that works downstairs uh, and all the way up through our young adult program. And so I'm just blessed to, to be able to be here uh, with uh, you guys this morning and to be able to lead a, a weekend where we get to celebrate our families and we get to worship together and lift up the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, so we usually do these weekends around like... Um, you know, the times where families are usually together anyway. Uh, and uh, we're centered on that because we want our students and our children to be able to see uh, what happens up here. But we also want uh, our parents to be able to, to get a glimpse of uh, what happens downstairs. And uh, so, you know, having uh, the opportunity to be able to preach uh, this morning is, is great. Uh, and I'm, I'm really excited to be able to share with you guys. Um, but, uh, you know, we're starting to... Um, new series. We've never done a series on family worship weekends before. Um, you know, we've kind of done like one-off uh, types of topical things. And, uh, you know, as we started thinking about like what we could do, uh, we started thinking about, well, we have three family worship uh, weekends. Like maybe we could find something in the Bible uh, that comes in multiples of three. Well, that was exhausting because there's a lot of stuff in the Bible that comes in multiples of three. We're like, well, okay, let's go back to the drawing board and kind of think through, like, well, what could we, you know, talk about? Like, what are some things that we want, you know, our families to, to think about? And, you know, as we started looking at it, we're like, you know, we always talk about the, the good kids. We never talk about the bad kids. And part of that is because, you know, none of us as parents, you know, we want to think about our kids being the bad kids, or we don't want to think about, you know, bad kids in general. Those are the kids that at the supermarket, you know, do all kinds of bad things. And our kids are never like that, are they? Okay. Um, it was really interesting last time, uh, this morning when we were up here, we had, uh, you know, preschoolers in here. And so if you're a preschool parent in here on a weekend, we love you. We're glad that your child is in here. Understand that you have freedom for your child to, to be a child. Um, and, you know, we're, we're going to move through this service together. Uh, but, you know, don't think that your child is being bad because they're three or four and they can't sit still. That's okay. Right? We've designed this service uh, to be able to be a blessing to, to your family. Uh, so, you know, we, we took off with this idea of uh, bad kids in the Bible. And so we're, we're going to be taking a look at um, the, uh, the children of well-known Bible characters uh, who specifically did evil in their lifetime. Um, now, these are not the, the, the biblical narratives that you would find, like, in a Bible storybook as your child is growing up. You're like, here, let's, let's go and take a look at these. Right, these are not going to be the ones that you would necessarily have in a devotional uh, that you would read through. But the, these narratives that we're going to talk about have some great principles for us as we learn to live in obedience to God's word. And uh, so you know, we're going to, uh, to work through those uh, together this summer. Now, we all like a good story. We all look like a good plot line. Now, I don't know about you, but my family, we enjoy Friday nights. Friday nights end up being family movie night. Anybody else with me? Friday night, family movie night. We're like, oh, praise the Lord, Friday night. We're going to be there. Now, kids, let me help you understand the reason why Friday movie night exists. It exists because we as, parent, as parents are exhausted. All right? We don't have any more energy left, and it allows us to have something to do. We even make excuses like, hey, we're going to get pizza. All right? That's because we're exhausted, and pizza's easy. All right? And so that's how pizza night and movie night came to existence. And if your family's anything like my family, 
we usually spend more time looking for the right movie to watch rather than like actually watching the movie, right? And part of that's because we all have different likes and dislikes. We all have things that we enjoy and don't enjoy. So like at my house, my, my boys and I, we really like action movies. And so we've enjoyed like working through the Marvel series and uh, we're working through our, the Harry Potter series right now. I'm really enjoying that. And, uh, but my daughter, who's 10, is scared of um, like act, action scenes and you know things with monsters in it. So you know clearly those two things don't align, right? So we find ourselves always like going through the struggle of like finding what happens and, and, and thinking through plot lines. And so I've learned what makes a good story. And my English teacher would be very proud because it only took me to the ripe old age of 41 to figure out all the, the things that go into a good story. Like for example, uh, we're just gonna talk through these here for just a moment. The elements of a good story, you have to have a good protagonist, right? That's your hero of the story, right? Without the hero, um, you just don't have a story. This, this character um, is the one that the readers have to care about. Um, they're kind, they're intelligent, um, they're an above average person, but they have to have flaws. Right? Usually things, uh, you know, these flaws are things that don't make them unlikable. Uh, for adults, it's kind of like when you go into a job interview, right? What are your flaws? Well, I care too much. <laughs> All right? Or, you know, um, I um, trust people too much, or I have too much confidence. Right? Don't share those that are in job interviews. All right, anyway, um, the protagonist, all right, that's the, that's the hero of the story. But then you also have the antagonist. This is the villain of the story. This is the person that, you know, your readers uh, understand uh, are gonna, is going to do anything uh, to stop the main character's desire, all right? And in the end, the antagonist has to get what's deserving of them, right? All right, so we get this. And then you go to, like, some type of inciting action. There's a, 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 a starting Right, this is where you're introduced to the, the two characters. You're introduced to what's happening in their lives, and uh, you know the overall problem that the hero faces. All right, ultimately, you get to the conflict where you know there's some type of quest, some type of struggle that creates drama and makes the reader want to keep reading or watching if you're on a Friday movie night. Right, um, and this usually comes in some type of internal or external um, struggle that's going on, and ultimately at the end. You're resolving the, the situation, the conflict, and ultimately that's that pivotal point where the reader finds out who wins the conflict. Now, in our narrative today, we're going to certainly cover all of these, um, these points. But in order to introduce the internal conflict that has external consequences, I wanted us to be able to see what that would look like today. Now, if you're a student, you understand I like to play games, right? And sometimes I'll come up with and, and create my own games. So I need some help up here for us to do a game. So I actually need six volunteers. And I'm looking specifically for uh, young people. Uh, so if you're like in high school or if you're young at heart, I need you know, some help with that too. So, all right, I'm seeing lots of hands up here. All right, so I'm gonna just start here. Kylie, can you come up here? Uh, bring your brother too. All right, now bring, you know, we're going to do a couple of brothers here, too. I don't want to forget over here. All right, Sweeney, you can come up here. So I need one more. All right. Okay. Here, yeah, you guys, both of you guys come around here. All right. Okay. Yep, come on. All right, so here we go. I'm actually going to pull you guys up here. All right, now, this is a game that they're going to help us with, but everyone gets to play. 
All right, so you guys need to stand up, up here in a straight line. One, two, four, five, six. Great. All right, so everyone's going to get to play. The, the, the name of the game is right or wrong. All right, right, you're going to face one way. Wrong, you're going to face a different way, or if you think it's wrong. All right, so here in a second, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put some topics up on the board. And if you believe it to be one thing, you're going to face one direction. Or if the other, you're going to face the opposite direction. So, all right, for example, all right, if I, you know, say, you know, the first thing, you're going to face right, and the second thing, you're going to face left. Okay, so here's what I need. I need everybody to stand and join with us here. And I'm going to tell you your role here in a second. Okay? All right, so, all right, here we go. All right, so you're going to, is this on the road? All right, so tell, tell everybody your name. Cameron. All right, so Cameron, here's the first one. All right, you're gonna you're gonna help me here. All right, the first one is cats or dogs. All right, so cats are gonna face to the right. All right, I know that this is opposite because you're up here. So you're gonna face to the right if you say cats are right, or dogs if you think, or left if you think dogs are right. All right, so you guys go ahead. Turn right for cats, left for dogs. You're like, what in the world? How do you figure out right or wrong for cats or dogs? And you're like. Yes, now we're starting to get to the idea here that we're going to. Okay. All right, so Cameron, is it, is it correct to say cats or dogs? Cats. Cats. All right, so cats are right. All right, cats are right. That's what he said. Cats are right. All right, Kylie, you ready? Okay, here's our next one. Is it soda or pop? Now you don't drink you don't drink anything like that like caffeinated beverages like Kool-Aid. Like I like Kool-Aid. Okay, cool. All right. So is it soda? People call it different things. Do you know that? Okay. All right. So if if you think it's the correct thing to call it is soda, you're gonna face right. If you think the correct thing is pop, you're gonna face left. I love this because I have I have parents facing right at each other. It's fantastic. All right, now, I grew up in the South, all right, and the correct way to say it is Coke, okay? Just so you understand, all right, you would drive through a drive through and you would say, I would like a Coke. And then they would say, well, what kind? I would like a Sprite. And you guys laugh, but that's the way it was for me as a child. That's what I grew up with. All right, so Kylie, is it soda or is it pop? Soda. Soda, all right. Soda is right. Okay. Let's go to the next one. All right. Similar idea. Is it Coke or Pepsi? All right. Which one is right and which one is wrong? So we're going to give them a chance. All right. Turn right if you think it's Coke, left if you think it's Pepsi. What is right and what is wrong? Now you're like, I have no idea. What, and what's your name? Henry. All right. So Henry, Coke or Pepsi, right or wrong, what is it? Do you even drink this? <laughs> Coke or Pepsi? Coke! Alright. You ready for this next one? Alright. Now, I gotta explain here for a second. Alright, because as a staff, we've had an unnecessarily long conversation and argument about this. Alright? Because some people believe that a hot dog is a sandwich, some people don't. I personally think if you're going to categorize it, it should be more like a taco, right? Because it's surrounded on three sides. 
right? But, right, I need you guys to come to a form of a decision here. If you believe a hot dog is a sandwich, face right. And if you believe it's not a sandwich, you should face left. All right, this is a critical thing for Memorial Day weekend, apparently. Uh, so I have to look at this picture. All right. All right, there's a lot of people. There's a lot more people facing right than I thought. Here we go. All right, what's your name? Teddy. All right, Teddy, is a hot dog sandwich? No. It's a taco. All right. We're going to go to this next one here. All right. This one, this one is not the, the, the hardest one. All right, pie this one. or cake. All right, okay, pie face left, cake for, uh, face right. And you're like, Pastor James, you put them together. And I'm like, no. For elements here, you have to pick one. All right, pie or cake. What do we have? Pie. And why, why pie? Does everyone agree pie? Well, why, why pie? I think just cake is like kind of chewy, chewy. Sorry. Pie. 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 Hey, listen, pie or cake, all right, you know, at my house, we don't have birthday cake, we have birthday pie, all right, and we love it, and it's delicious, see, you're just wrong, <laughs> all right, here we go, we're going we're gonna to do, uh, what do we have, one more, all right, here we go, I know that this is a big one for you, is it Red Sox or Yankees, so, Red Sox face right, Yankees first left, all right? And you're like, I have no clue, and I don't even care. Do you follow baseball? You're not a big fan of baseball. What do you What do you enjoy? Um, I like soccer more. You like soccer, so you're a big Chelsea fan? No. You know, local, local no? Who's, who's your team? Um, USA. Okay, all right. <laughs> all right, okay. All right, so Red Sox face right, Yankees first left, all right, or face left. All right, what's the correct answer? Um, Red Sox. Yay! Red Sox. Okay, so, so listen, the correct answer should be this. It's the Rays. All right? Now, no, listen, it's not my opinion. They're at the top of the AL East. And before you Philly fans go crazy, 5-3 yesterday, the Rays won. Okay? So the correct answer should be the Rays. Oh, okay. All right. Hey, you guys give them a round of applause. Thank you so much. Now, I want you guys, I wanted to go through that right or wrong scenario because it's so important for us to, to, to start to think through how we make decisions. And so often, all right, we look to the influence of others, all right? So, like, clearly parents, um, you know, have been doing some things right and some things wrong, all right? Now, all right, and sometimes they don't know, and so they just have to guess, all right? Um, and so, at some point, we have to understand that we have to make decisions. And today, as we look through God's Word, we're going to take a very simple concept we're going to see uh, a narrative out of God's word that helps us to understand 
uh, this biblical truth, and it's this. All right, this is the truth, that man may approve of our definition of right or wrong, but God's standard never changes. God's standard never changes. It is the same yesterday, today, and forever. All right, and that doesn't change based upon someone else's uh, opinion of it. It doesn't change based upon what you may uh, be told. All right, God's standard never changes. Now, it should surprise us then that we see the, the Bible gives us great insight into this matter in some passages that you might be familiar with or you might not. But out of the book of Proverbs, we see that we should trust the Lord with all of our heart and not lean on our understanding. But instead, we should acknowledge him and he will make, our, make straight our paths. Also, we see in the book of Proverbs that the plans of the heart belong to, to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the, from the Lord. And all the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes. See, we don't see that we're wrong for liking pie or cake or anything like that. That's our, that's our thoughts, right? You guys get me? But the Lord weighs the spirit. So what should we do? We should commit our work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. There is a way that seems right to us, to man, but in the end, it is the way of and so we have to understand that uh, God has laid out a standard, and that standard never changes. Now, let's get into to God's word into our passage. We're going to turn to 2 Kings chapter 1. 2 Kings chapter 1 is where we're going to be. And we're going to be taking a look at a character named Ahaziah. Ahaziah. If you need a Bible, there's plenty of Bibles around on uh, the end tables around here. Um, and it's also, all of our text is going to be on the screen as well. And uh, once you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand uh, if you're able uh, as we uh, start reading the reading of God's Word. I know I've asked you guys to be up and down a bunch of times, right? But thank you guys for doing that. Here we go, 2 Kings chapter 1. After the death of Ahab, Moab rebelled against Israel. Now Ahaziah fell through the lattice in his upper chamber in Samaria, and he lay sick. So he sent messengers telling them, Go inquire of Baalzebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover from this sickness. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, Arise, go up and meet, uh, to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria, and say to them, Is it because there is no god in Israel that you are going to inquire of Baalzebub, the god of Ekron? Now therefore, thus says the Lord, You shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. This is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. So what we've just read, going back to our, our plot line and understanding a good what, what uh, elements are in a good story, we've just read our inciting action. This is the characters, this is the situation that has come upon Ahaziah. And what we see here is that Ahaziah has fallen through some lattice work. He's on his balcony. He's fallen off of his balcony through some lattice work. And he sends a messenger uh, to the priests of Baalzebub. And Elijah is told by God to go and intercept uh, these messengers. Now, Ahaziah was the king of Israel. And he was the son of Ahab and Jezebel. And you're probably familiar with them. We're going to talk about them here in just a moment. But Ahaziah was king for about two years, and after the death of his father Ahab, 
And, and really, this is the only passage of God's word where we're told anything about Ahaziah. Uh, the king, uh, what we understand is that King Ahaziah wanted all the privileges of ruling, but wanted none of the responsibilities. We were told here that Moab was rebelling against uh, Ahaziah, and so we understand that, that the Moabites were one of the nations of, of Canaan that uh, the nation of Israel had, had conquered. David had defeated them, and they had to pay taxes every year to the nation of Israel. All right, but when Ahab died, they're like, man, we're going we're gonna to use this as an opportunity to go and do uh, what we want to and get out from underneath of these taxes. So maybe Ahaziah was angry over the lost revenue, or maybe he was you know, angry about the ongoing problem. Uh, maybe he was you know, drinking a little too much. Uh, but regardless, we understand that he fell from this lattice work, and we find him laying on, on some uh, cushions or uh, somewhere uh, in agony. He felt uh, like this was a difficult situation, and so he wanted to know what was going to become of his life. Uh, so what we see here is actually kind of intriguing, because he didn't ask to be healed. He didn't ask for you know, relief from the pain. He just wanted to know all right, what was going to happen to his life? And he turns to, a, to, a, to this idea of supernatural guidance. All right, when you think about that, and in your life and in my life, that's exactly what we should do. When we're faced with a, a difficult decision, we should turn for supernatural guidance. All right, understanding that, that God understands more about the situation than you and I do. But the problem is, in, in this situation, is that Ahaziah um, looked to guidance from Baal rather than to the Lord. And so he sent a messenger about 40 miles from uh, where he was to Ekron, uh, to one of the former Philistine cities, uh, to consult with the priests of Baal. All right, and Ekron was a famous city because Baal was the chief god of that city. It was an idol that was worshipped in that city. And so if you're unfamiliar with Baal, Baal was... Uh, one of the, the gods that the, the Canaanites had worshipped uh, through, uh, through the Old Testament, we see this. And, and Baal was uh, particularly worshipped because he was a god of fertility. That's what they would worship him for. They would want to worship Baal asking for the opportunity for their crops to grow or for the, the, their wives to become pregnant with children so that they could raise a large army. And so uh, you can almost say that Ahaziah all right, was very much like Ahab and Jezebel. All right, because when we look at Ahab and Jezebel's life, who did they worship? Well, they worshipped Baal as well. All right, let's look at what uh, we see here in Ahab and Jezebel's life. In 1 Kings chapter 16, we understand in the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, the son of Omri, began to reign over Israel. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel in Samaria 22 years. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord, more than all who were before him. And as, and as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nabat, he took for his wife Jezebel, the daughter of the Ephael king of the Sidians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. This is the king of Israel, worshipping and setting up a temple. In verse 32, he erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. And Ahab made an Asherah pole, 
right, to worship. And Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger that, uh, to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. Now, we probably understand Ahab and Jezebel a little bit if you're familiar with Old Testament, uh, particularly through one interaction that they had with, uh, with Elijah. Right, and that's when the prophets of Baal and Elijah come together to, uh, to decide who is actually going to be the God that Israel worships. Right? For, for a real quick recap, what happens is um, Ahab brings, the, brings in Elijah and he says, you know, if, if your God calls down fire from heaven, right, then he will be the God we worship. Or if the prophets or the priests of Baal bring down fire from heaven and Baal consumes an offering, then he will be the God we worship. And so the, the, the priests of Baal come, and they dance around this, this altar, and they try to bring Baal to a point where he calls down fire from heaven. And Elijah's just having a good time, right? He's sitting back, and if you read the, the interaction, right, he's saying, well, you know, maybe he is asleep, and, you can't, and he can't hear you, right? And so they, he starts calling out, they start calling out, well, maybe, maybe he's, you know, maybe he's Right, he actually says this. Right, maybe he's using, he's relieving himself, and he cannot hear you. Right, and so they get louder, and it gets a little crazier. And you can almost imagine, right, young little Ahaziah sitting here as Elijah is making fun of the priests of Baal and making fun of Ahaziah's father Ahab. Right now, I don't know about you, but when I was a young boy, it was always my dad could beat up your dad. Right? You guys understand that. But, oh, my dad's way cool. And you always try to one it up, right? Right? And ultimately, your dad ends up being a superhero, which we are. Right? <laughs> but that's, that's the situation that Ahaziah was watching. Now, here's what happens at the end. Elijah prays to God. Right? Pours, pours um, all this water on top of the sacrifice, which makes no sense. God brings down fire, consumes the sacrifice. The priests of Baal are killed. Right? And still the nation of Israel does not worship God. And Ahaziah has seen all of this happen. He's watched it all from the very beginning. But Ahab continues to follow Baal. In fact, there's another uh, interaction where Ahab has uh, sees a vineyard he wants, and uh, he doesn't he doesn't want to you know take this, but Jezebel you know is evil. She kills this vineyard owner. Ahab takes property, uh, takes over the property. And here's the interaction with Ahab and Elijah. Um, Ahab says to Elijah in 1 Kings 21, Have you found me, O my enemy? Now think about it. This is Ahab, Ahaziah's father, calling Elijah the enemy. He answered, I have found you because you have sold yourself to do what is evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring disaster upon you. I will utterly burn you up, and I will cut off from Ahab every male bond or free in Israel. And I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, who like the house of Bashah, the son of Ahajah. I struggle with that name all the time. For the anger to which you have provoked me, and because you have made Israel to sin. Guys, Ahaziah looked for supernatural guidance, but he followed in the footsteps of his parents. He followed the standard by which they had set. And, and for, for us in here today, we have to understand, our children are watching our children see what we do. We set a standard, right, for stuff that's way more important than Coke or Pepsi, pie or cake, and, you know, what sports teams we follow. All right, we set a standard by which 
our children will follow us in the way that they make decisions. And so we see not only that Ahaziah looks for supernatural guidance, but we see that he had the wrong standard. We see that he was looking, instead of uh, towards God's view of right or wrong, he determined it upon himself. Now, let's go back to our, our narrative in 2 Kings chapter 1. We understand uh, what has happened. We understand that Elijah was, was given a message from God to go and, and tell to King Ahaziah. We understand Ahaziah's view of Elijah was definitely skewed right, because of the way Elijah had interacted with his father. And so we see in verse 5, all right, what happens next in this narrative. It says, the messengers returned to the king. This is the messengers that Ahaziah had sent, and Elijah had intercepted. And he said to them, why have you returned? And they said, there came a man to meet us, and said to us, go back to the king who sent you, and say to him, thus says the Lord, is it because there is no God in Israel that you are sending to acquire a Baalzebub, the God of Ekron? Therefore, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up but you shall surely die. And he said to them, well, what kind of man was this who came to meet you and told you these things? And they answered him, he wore a garment of hair and a belt of leather around his waist. Now that seems very odd, but look at what Ahaziah says next. Oh, it's Elijah the Tishbite. He knew him by even what he was wearing. The king sent him to Elijah, a captain, of 50 men, along with his 50 men. And he went up to Elijah, who was sitting on the top of the hill, and said to him, O man of God, the king says, come down. But Elijah answered the captain of the 50 men, If I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. And then guess what happens? Fire came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50 men. Now, this is the conflict. It's an internal conflict with an external consequence. Ahaziah knew who Elijah was. Right? Since Elijah had consistently opposed his parents for the, their worship of Baal, um, you know, the, the hairy garment that he was wearing was kind of like burlap or uh, also known as sackcloth. Right? It was worn by prophets a lot in the Old Testament uh, to visualize this lack of comfort, this lack of uh, of of yeah, comfort, uh, that really was needed in repentance and turning from who we are to who God is. Right? And with this description, Ahaziah knew exactly who the messenger was describing. Right? And because of the values of his parents, Ahaziah believed himself to be right and in the right. And he refused to believe this message from God that ultimately is going to be given to him three times and that he ignores and rejects three times. The announcement that he, he should, uh, that he would die should have moved Ahaziah to repent of his sins. It should have uh, allowed him to understand that he needed to seek the Lord. But instead, he tried to harm the prophet who was sharing this truth on behalf of him, who is this, the very standard of truth that we have in our lives. And that happens all the time, even in our culture today. Right? Remember our, our, our thought. It doesn't matter what man's opinion is of right or wrong. God's standard is the same. You know, today we see people try to influence the truth and even define the truth instead of finding the truth. 
right? I, I get this all the time in, in student ministry. Uh, I'll hear uh, people asking foolish questions, all right, on social media or in our culture, and the questions somehow come around to things like, well, what is your truth? Or let's find your personal truth. That's horrible. We'll be, we'll, you know, there's things that you might hear like, do your thing, live out your truth, speak your truth. You guys ever heard those? Right? Here's what's meant by these statements. I found this article on Huffington Post. When I was trying to wrestle through this, and I'm kind of stuck it, you know, in the back of my mind. Uh, here's what it, sa it said. It, you know, the author um, is not really well known, um, but but here's what they said, and I just it kind of stuck with me. So the exploration of personal truth helps to form the foundation of your life. What do you stand for? What do you value? What are your boundaries? And what are you aspiring to become? And these question, questions, among others, enable you to define and clarify the standards by which you will measure yourself. And without truth, you will have no way of knowing whether you are growing or evolving, contributing or taking from life. Your truth will become a, bar a barometer of how well you are doing in life. And if you have not yet affirmed your truth, then you will create life by default. Boy, that's a scary thought to, to think about how this type of mentality shapes the, the thinking in our society, shapes the thinking of our children. All right, and this is a term that we use, it's called cultural relativism. And I know like all of our elementary kids are in here like, what? All right, <laughs> cultural relativism, right, is a belief that all customs, ethics are, uh, are relative to that individual. In other words, you can't tell me what's right or wrong for me. That's what it's saying. Right or wrong are cultural specific. So what is considered moral in one society may be considered immoral in another. And since there's no universal standard of morality, no one person or culture has the right to judge another person or culture. Right now, I don't see that in reality. Why? Well, because what I see is that truth isn't determined by the amount of people that believe in it, right? Truth is not just, you know, something that makes me feel good. Truth is not just something that, you know, it works, right? Truth is not subjective. Um, Pastor Rick Warren, uh, out in California, um, you know, wrote a book called The Purpose Driven Life, and uh, he, he wrote this, this statement, and I just love it, it stands out to me. It says, a lie doesn't become true, Wrong doesn't become right, and evil doesn't become good just because it's accepted by a majority of people. It's a great reminder for us. Now, I wanted to uh, use an illustration for this. Um, how many of our, our adults, you may understand what this is. How many of our, our students or young people know what this is? Anybody know what this is? Okay. All right, some of you guys know what this is. All right. Uh, let me come back here. Let me see. I need somebody to help me here. All right. Okay, I'm going to come right, right here. Can you come up here? What, what's your name? What's your name? John. John. All right, John, come up here. Are you guys give John a hand? He's going to come up here. Come here All right, John, you know this, um, this helps me understand what's true. Do you believe that? All right? It, it does. It helps me understand what's true. 
right? So if you say something wrong, it's going to tell you, tell me that it's not true. You know, you don't believe it. Right? Right? Do you know how to use this to, to help you understand what's true? Not exactly. Can I show you? Right now, we spent a lot of money on this, this beautiful building that God has provided for us, right? But can you imagine what would happen, all right, if, come up here, John, so everybody can see, right? You see that there's these little things right here. Well, what happens, you see the bubble, right? And so what happens is, here, I want you to come and look at this. Can you tell me where that bubble is? Where is it? It's right there, and what is it in between? Are there two, two little lines there? You see the, the two little the two little yeah. black lines there? Yeah. And you know what that tells me? It tells me that the floor is level. Okay? Now, what happens if I put it like this, right, up here against this podium, right? A little hard for you to see, but you can kind of see it right here. Is there a bubble there? Yeah. Okay. Well, let me get it right here. Okay? That means that it's true up and down. So it tells me that it's true this way and true this way. It's called plumb. And level. Isn't that really cool? All right, you guys give John a round of applause. Now, guys, we see this in construction. Right? I, I used to work in, uh, in high school and early on in college working for a fire and water damage like restoration company. So I'd go into houses that would have issues and we would try to make sure that stuff is built right. Right now, if things aren't built right, you can certainly tell. Last summer, my wife and I got an opportunity to go um, to the wedding of a former student, and we really enjoyed the wedding. It was late when we got into the hotel room, and uh, my, my wife got there, and she was like, man, I just feel dizzy. I'm like, no, you don't feel dizzy. I'm like, no, you don't feel dizzy. She's like, what are you talking about? She's like, I, I, feel, like, I feel like I'm you know, walking all weird. I'm like, you are. All right, you know how I know that? It's because the floor isn't level. Right? And that's what happens right, to your mind whenever you're not walking on something that's true. Right? Here's, right, if you don't have a level, right, I didn't like pull out my pocket level and tear it with me. All right? So you use the next best thing to, to prove to your wife that the floor isn't on. You pull out a bottle of Listerine because you want to be wedding fresh, and you put it on the ground, and here's what happens. Okay, right? So when the floor wasn't level, I could easily tell it wasn't true. And when the floor wasn't true, it caused my wife and her mind and her ears to start to try and adjust. And it caused her to feel, to feel ill. Guys, this is why it's so important for us to have our foundation true. To be, have our foundation built upon truth so that we understand how we should shape our lives. What is, right, otherwise we, we fall back into that default that we mentioned a minute ago, and our default is to be rejected by God. And, 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 and really we need that correction that comes, right, because the standard of truth, what is the standard of truth? What do we see in God's word? Well, John 14, verse 6 says it this way. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And then again in John 18, it says, For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, 
to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate turned to him and said, well, what is truth? Then again, John 17, Jesus speaking to his father saying, sanctify them in the truth, and your word is the truth. So we've been given truth. Jesus is the truth. He came to share with us right, what, uh, how to, um, what the truth is, to bear witness to it. And then we're given the truth of God's word to live out in our life, to shape us, to mold us, to give us what we need. But what happens when we reject that truth? What happens if we're like Ahaziah, we're saying we're not going to live our life based on that. We're not going to shape our thinking. Instead, what's going to happen is we're going to receive the consequence all right, for rejecting truth. And here's what it says in Romans chapter 1. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. We're going to be getting into this in the book of uh, Romans here in the next couple of weeks. Uh, but again, Romans chapter 2, He will render to each one according to his works, to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality. And he will give... Uh, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey instead unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. Now, those for our children and students in here, right? The way that we've shaped this in, in my family is, you know, you have the option, right? You can choose to do something, you know, according to your own standard, but understand the consequences. Right? This is the way that it should be. Right? And when you choose to do something else, you've chosen that consequence. Right? And so it's not, it's not something that I, I'm bringing punishment on you. No, you've chosen to bring that, that consequence upon yourself. Back to Ahaziah. We've seen the conflict. Right? But what Ahaziah failed to realize is that he had put himself in a position as the hero instead of as the antagonist. Let's look again at verse 11. 2 Kings chapter 1. Again, the king sent to him another captain of 50 men with his 50. So again, the first 50 and the captain burned alive. Second 50 come. And he answered and said to him, O man of God, this is the king's order. The first time the king said it, you need to come. This time he's ordering it. Come down quickly. But Elijah answered them, If I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your fifty. And then the fire of God came down from heaven and consumed him and his fifty. And that's the second time. Now you would think Ahaziah would be like, uh, you know, I should probably listen to this guy. Right? Because if he's going to kill my captains and all of my soldiers, maybe I should listen to him. Nope. Here's what he does. Verse 13, again, the king sent the captain of a third 50 with his 50. Can you imagine being that guy? All right, the third captain of the 50 went up and came and fell on his knees before Elijah and entreated him, saying, O man of God, please let my life and the life of these 50 servants of yours be precious in your sight. Behold, fire came down from heaven and consumed the two former captains of 50 with their 50s, but now let my life be precious in your sight. Then the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, Go down with him, and do not be afraid of him. So he arose and went down to him, uh, with him to the king. 
and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Because you have sent messengers to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron, is because there is no uh, is it because there is no God in Israel to inquire of his word? Therefore, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. Ahaziah thought he was right. Ahaziah thought he was the hero, but he was actually the villain. He was the, he was the one that was wrong. He was a proud man who sacrificed the lives of two captains and 100 men in an attempt to stop his own death. And he should have responded the same way that the third captain did, and all of those men did, in recognizing who Elijah was and who God is. So how did things end for Ahaziah? Well, let me just put it this way. In verse 17 and 18, it just says, And Ahaziah died. He died. The next guy took his place because his eye didn't have any kings, uh, sons to become king. And nothing was written, nothing else was written about him in the book of the Chronicles or the Kings. That was it. He had the opportunity, but he just died. He lived in defiance. He could have asked for mercy. He could have recognized and asked for forgiveness. He could have asked for healing. But instead, he just died. And it's hard to believe that some people. And their hearts are just so embittered that they would turn on every opportunity to repent and have mercy. But that was the case of Ahaziah. And it's a great reminder for you and I today about what happens to the enemies of God. And you might say, well, PJ, right? that's what the students sometimes call me, Pastor James. PJ, I'm not an enemy of God. And I'm like, oh, let's go to God's word. Right? Because what does the Bible tell us? The Bible tells us that we were born enemies of God. This world believes that God is the enemy because they see him as someone who sets rules that you know, keeps me from doing what makes me happy. But we need to understand that we're the enemy. right? And we under, have to understand that, that we are in our sin in opposition to, to the God who created us and formed us and shaped everything that we see and understand. And here's what God's word says in Romans 5. It says, for while we were, if, while we were enemies, it's not asking if we were enemies, it's assuming and it's telling us we were enemies. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we're reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. It's a great picture of redemption. We were enemies, God sent his son, and now we have the opportunity to be saved. But what about those day-to-day interactions? Where does the evil come from within us? Right, James chapter 1, let no one say when he's tempted, that I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil. Uh, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured in a way and enticed by his own desires. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to death, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Ahaziah believed his own lie. He believed that he was the one who was the hero. Instead of believing that he was wrong, right, he based that upon the standard by which his parents had given him, that standard was wrong. Now, it's hard to look at a passage like this and say, all right, man, wasn't that so encouraging? All right, we had 18 verses and 103 people died. Awesome, thank you, God, for that. But there is, in the midst of all this conflict, there is some comfort, some real comfort for us. All right, first of all, we understand that God's word is true and it's able to be trusted. Right? 
God did what he said he was going to do in the Old Testament. And we, and we see, all right, uh, in this passage, he, he delivered on what he said he was going to do. And he's also given us his word in written form that we can have in front of us, we can learn and grow from. That should bring us comfort. All right, because we have something that in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, they had the book of the law. All right, we have, we have the New Testament and what we see in the life of Jesus. All right, speaking of that, all right, this, the other area we understand is, we, you know, that we can have comfort is because God is merciful. Could, could God have just simply taken Ahaziah's life? Absolutely. But instead, what did he do? He spoke through Elijah to Ahaziah, asking him and telling him that he needed to turn, and that this was what was going to happen. And knowing the evil and wickedness in Ahaziah's life, God still sent his messenger to speak truth. To, to be able to share what God had. And you and I today, we have the message of truth, we have the messenger of truth, the one who redeemed us and bought us and paid for our sin and our consequences to make us right with God. And when we think about what that means on a day like, as we, you know, on a weekend like Memorial Day, you know, we, we think back to, to verses like John chapter 15, right, where we understand that Jesus commanded us to love one another as he loved us. And he says this, greater love has no man than this, that he lays down his life. And we have this great picture of mercy, right, where God is, is uh, going to Ahaziah, right, he gives a messenger. You and I, we have messengers in our lives too. That point us back to the truth. And I would encourage you today, if you're, if you're in a situation where you're looking for truth, Right? You have it right here in front of you. If you need someone to, to walk alongside you, you have a, a body of believers here that want to help you, and want to encourage you. Right? So don't leave this place right, without having that assistance and that guidance from God's word. Right? The same way Isaiah had, had the opportunity to believe in it, and he rejected it, you have the ability to believe in it and to set that as a standard. Father, we thank you. We thank you for uh, the hope that we have through uh, difficult circumstances. And certainly we've, we as a people have understood some difficult circumstances. We see it uh, throughout history. We understand, though, that, God, you have had your hand over and you shaped uh, you know, the events of history for your purposes. God, we have difficulties, but we have the ability to understand uh, and, and filter out those things through your word, to live out the principles of your and God, I ask that you would allow us to understand uh, truth, and that you would under help us to understand and, and follow it, even when it may not make sense. God, your word is true. Even when we may not understand the decisions we, we must make, your principles guide us. And in addition, God, you bring you know, great people uh, into our lives to help guide us and shape us, and just as you did with Elijah, over and over and over. To speak, to speak into that truth into the lives that they have and they desire. God, we thank you for this. We pray that you would allow us to understand this and to shape our lives based on your standards and not by the standards of the world, because we know your your standards never change. We thank you for this. We pray this in Jesus' name.